0: I want you guys to think if you've ever gotten a love letter, because this teaching today is going to be about love letters. Think about if you have ever got a lo- love letter, or if you haven't, who would you like to get a love letter from? And um, and think about it. Have you ever gotten? If you've ever gotten a love letter from, you know, somebody, doesn't it like? does it make you feel? Special. Special. Does some of it form and fuzzy? Does, does it, it also sort of has to do with who it's from, too. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> 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 Ever gotten an unwanted love letter? <laughs> like, ew. <laughs> but what we're going to be talking about in this new series that we're going to be doing over the next uh, several months is we're going to talk about God's love letters for you. God actually wrote some letters, some love letters that are just especially for you. And I was thinking about, actually I was amazed by the manifestations tonight. The spirit of God was moving and we're, we're not very organized in some ways. We don't actually discuss at all what the other one's doing, at all. Like we have no dialogue. Nobody knew what I was going to do this week. I didn't know what they were going to do this week. But you know what's crazy? Is somehow you really get that God's working the same stuff in everybody's heart. And, and, and I was sitting there, I started crying for many reasons. I mean, because it was inspiring to see the spirit of God move. But it was so apparent to me that he was directing all of our hearts in kind of a singular direc- you know, singular place. I was thinking about, um, Luche when you were talking about um, being desperate, you know, for God. And then also I was thinking, gosh, there were so many things that tied in. Um, I was thinking about Joe, um, talking about the black hole in our hearts. And I really, really believe with all of my heart, because I've seen it, I've experienced it myself, but I've seen it over and over and over for other people that, There is an emptiness that we feel without God's love. I've seen it even as a Christian. There are times that I am living without really experiencing or tasting God's love, where I just kind of leave God out, doing my own thing, on my own little journey, you know, shutting myself off from really experiencing and tasting God's love for me. Now, I also believe, um, and Steve was talking about all the other things that we fill it with, I really, that really lives for me, too, in that whole black hole. And, well, actually, this it was a theme. Like, Joe was talking about that, too. I'm telling you, how many times that emptiness that we feel inside, that we fill with other things. And black hole is a good word for it because you just keep filling it, filling and filling. And what happens with the black hole? You can't fill it. It's a vacuum. There's, you know, it continues to stay empty. And I really believe that the only thing that can make us truly feel loved... And who, who doesn't have a desire to feel loved? We're coming up for Valentine's Day, right? <laughs> you know, we all deeply desire to feel and experience love. And, but there is nothing like God's love. Because it is the one thing that no matter what, you can fill with other stuff and it makes you feel good for a little There's lots of things that make you feel good for a little while, right? But haven't, I think I've experienced them and many of us have where no matter how much you get, they're still empty, 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 empty. Why do I keep feeling empty, empty? God does not desire that for any of us. God wants us to truly feel loved, really, really loved through and through. And one of the ways that he's done that to make it unmistakable for us is he really did write love letters. There are seven books of the Bible that are called the seven church epistles. They are the seven books that are written to you and to me today, and we can apply them absolutely directly like they are written to us. If you take a look, I'm going to actually show you these books. There are seven books, and I'll show you how much of the Bible this is. I'm going to, okay, here we go. This is the seven church epistles. Oops, I just dropped it. Um, Epistle, the word epistle means letter. So these are seven letters to you, to the church today. This is, oops, see this? This is it. Now, out of the entire Bible, these are the only seven books that are all directly 100% written to you. These would be good to get to know, wouldn't they? These are all, now, a lot of the Bible, the way that it works is that some of the other books of the Bible are written to other groups of people. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not useful. There's no reason to throw the rest of it out or anything because you can learn a lot from a letter written to somebody else, can you not? If it has good information. If you get that it's not addressed specifically to you, you know, if I read a letter written to Joe and it had good information that I could apply to myself, I'd go, oh, cool, okay, well, I get it's to Joe, but I can learn a lot or whatever from that. The Bible is very much like that. But the seven church op- and then in the New Testament, you've got things like the Old Testament are written to the Jews or Gentiles. And then you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John which are awesome to getting to know who Jesus Christ is. They're really, really good records to understanding Jesus more. But they were written to the—it's still in the Old Testament because Jesus came. He hadn't died or gotten up from the dead, so it's not even written to Christians. It's still written to Jews, the the Gospels. But it helps us to understand Jesus more. So good things to get to know. Acts is is the record of the first century church, But then the next seven books of the Bible, and they're in the same order in every Bible that you see throughout the years, is Romans through Thessalonians, and that's what we're going to be begin our series on, are these seven books. And all of them, if you take a look, in fact, even in the introduction of all the books, you see that they are written to the church today, the church of grace. Now, some of the other books in the New Testament, like Timothy and Titus, are written to the leadership, and Hebrew and James are written to the church, but that is zealous for the law. I want to give you an overview on how, uh, on how these seven books are put together, but they re- and, and then I'm going to introduce you to the first of the seven church epistles, the book of Romans, which I love. It's an amazing, amazing book, and I'll be telling you a little bit about that uh, soon. But the seven church epistles are really amazing letter. They are letters. Their epistles mean letters. And they are letters to you that are full of God's love for you. How many of you have experienced when you've read the Bible, especially those things that are addressed to you, you feel God's love when you've been in doubt? When there have been times that you have not tasted his love, but you've read it and you went, oh, I get it. I really, really feel God's love. Because how often, it's really easy to forget, isn't it? But these books are specifically written to really help us to get how loved, how loved we are. I'm going to show you an overview. God's Love Letters to You, the seven church epistles. And we're going to be going through these, but it, they're kind of broken down into, out of these seven, where we've got, you know, in 2 Timothy uh, 3.16, it says all scripture is given for doctrine, reproof, and correction, which is instruction in righteousness. And so it's so that we can be fully equipped And so you see in the seven epistles, they're actually broken down as doctrine, reproof, correction, uh, doctrine, reproof, correction, and then Thessalonians is just doctrine because Thessalonians is about Jesus Christ coming back. So there's no reason he's coming back. Everything's perfect. There's no reason for reproof and correction on the Lord's coming back. So it's kind of, it helps in understanding the epistles if you see how they're laid out. Doctrine means how to believe rightly or right teaching. Correction reproof is telling you when you've gotten off the ball, and correction is teaching to get you back on track again. So this is how the seven church epistles are laid out. The first one that we're going to be talking about is the foundational doctrine to the church and the theme of Romans. All throughout Romans, it screams that it's by grace. If you want to talk about a love letter, the book of Romans is going to melt your heart, I'm telling you. It's going to melt your heart. It's so funny. The book of Romans also ties into so many of the things that we were hearing in the manifestations today. And then you've got Corinthians and Galatians, which are reproof and correction to uh, people that were getting off the ball from Romans. And then Ephesians is doctrine, which is kind of the pinnacle of the Christian walk. Uh, and then it's got reproof and correction there. And then Thessalonians, we've got the Lord's return. So I want to focus now on on Romans, and we're going to be sort of, I'm not going to be going through every single verse of scripture in the church epistles, because we won't have time to do that over the next several months, but I want to kind of hit the highlights. And the theme through Romans, if you want to think about love letters, Romans is kind of the beginning of the relationship. It's, it's, and what, and one of the things that's amazing about romans is that it talks about that it opens with the fact that god loves us being horrible like that we are awful horrible what a mess and god loves us now it's kind of fun if you think about when do you feel loved the most when you've got it all together and you look your best and you're behaving your best and somebody loves you or do you experience love the most when you think about the other side? Because we all have both, right? We all have, you know, our, our most pleasant, you know, part when we're all in our glory and we got, we're firing in all cylinders and, and all that. And then you think about the other side of where is it that in the times that you feel the worst about who you are? And everybody has those times where you feel like you're at your bottom, where you feel like you're at your darkest, that you feel unlovable, that you feel disgusting. When do you, when, if some, like, do you feel more love when somebody's loving you at the bottom or loving you at the top? At the bottom. (laughs) That's the right answer. (laughs) No, I'll tell you because if it's, you know, if you're getting loved when everything's going on, what are you thinking? It's just because you're good, and what way do they find out who you really are? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, seriously, how many of us haven't thought that? Haven't had those questions or those doubts of just going, if they only knew who I really was? I'm telling you, the book of Romans, the theme of it, is, just, is, is God star, starts out, it's, saying, like seeing us for who we really are at our worst, like seeing it. Think about what is it that God sees in you at your very worst, at your very bottom? What might, I mean, just think to yourself if nobody answered the question. (laughs) But think right now of the things that you find the most disgraceful or the most despicable or the most unlovable, that God sees that plainly, whatever that might be. In the places that you don't feel deserving of love, that's what God says in Romans, at the lowest of low, God loves you. That, and I'm telling you, the theme through Romans, over and over, I've never seen God scream anything more than in the book of Romans, where it says, it's by grace, it's by grace, it's by grace. And if you don't know what grace is, grace is unmerited, meaning unmerited, you don't deserve it. Unmerited divine favor, that's the fancy explanation for it. God's favor, God's blessing to you, God's pouring out his blessing on you when you're at the most undeserving is what grace is. The message of grace is because Jesus Christ paid the price. So there's nothing that we have to do to earn God's love anymore. There's nothing that we have to do. So you can be at your most despicable and God sees it plainly. It's not like he's stupid and does, you pulled, played something off. And God says, I love you anyway. And that's the theme of Romans. We'll start in verse, Romans 1 and verse 16. The, f- the first part uh, is Paul talking about how he hopes to come to Rome and he misses them and he prays for them all the time and they're great believers and all kinds of things like that. Uh, you can read it when you want. Um, In Romans 1 and verse 16, I love, we'll start there. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, I'm telling you, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am so not, I, I don't care. I will shout it anywhere. I am not ashamed for the same reasons. I am not ashamed of the gospel Oh, the, gospel. the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he came to make available. There is no place, nowhere that I am ashamed to, of the gospel because I know it says, because it has the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation, for deliverance to everyone who believes. I've seen it, guys. I don't know anything else that heals I don't know anything else that sets people free. I've seen miracles. I've seen healing. I've seen deliverance. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I'm not going to hold back from telling people that. I have experienced that myself. Now, some of us, I get it. You know what kind of sucks? Is maybe I've been ashamed of people that call themselves Christian. Have you ever felt that way? Going, geez, call yourself something else. You know what I'm saying? That, but I'm telling you, that's different. It really does suck that that there are people walking around that do not represent Jesus Christ and call themselves Christians. And sometimes it's embarrassing from that. Any anymore, it feels like you got to apologize for being a Christian, doesn't it? Oh, oh sorry. Oh, you know, <laughs> we're the worst religion. You know, <laughs> like. Sorry. I, you know, there's a big difference between. You can call yourself whatever, doesn't make you, you know, what Jesus represented. I am proud of the gospel. I am proud of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm proud to say that I'm sorry, but it's different than what some people are selling under the name of Christianity, that's the opposite of what Jesus represented. You know, I am ashamed of those people that hold pickets full of pickets full of hate. I am ashamed that they call themselves Christians. It disgusts me. I'm like, you might as well have a a trash can with feces in it and you put caviar in the outside doesn't make it caviar. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just sort of like <laughs> You can call it what you want. Doesn't make it the real deal. <laughs> false advertising. It's false advertising. <laughs> but I am proud. I am proud of the good news. I'm proud of God. I am proud of Jesus Christ. I am proud of the Word of God and what it represents. And I'm proud of the Book of Romans and what it says about grace and the message of grace. It says For the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. You'll see a lot in the book of Romans. We'll be talking about this more as we get into it, but uh particularly in Romans, the Gentiles, uh, which were everybody but Jews, were the Jews. Kind of felt like they were dirt balls, and um, because you know, because they did all kinds of crazy things in their worship, and the Jews were like, "Oh my gosh, this is disgusting." And uh, most of us used to be Gentiles, but um, I mean, not like recently or right? I anything. Mean, just like, but um, so you see that. A lot of the, And the Jews were all, all the first Christians were all Jews. So it took a little while for Jews to, you know, get that it was okay that the uh, crazy Gentiles were allowed to be saved too. So you see a lot of times the reference to Jews and Gentiles in here. It says, uh, and that it says in verse 17, it says, For the gospel, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Basically, through and through. Like, there's like the righteousness. Righteousness is being able to stand before God without any sense of, of shame, of guilt or shame. So, he's saying that the righteousness comes by faith, meaning it's the opposite of earning it. It's not the law, it's not that you earn it. So, it's a righteousness, it says, that's been revealed by faith from first to last, just as it is written the righteous will live by faith. Now, in verse 18, we're going to get into a section that has been, this section of Romans 1 kind of talks a lot about the darkness of man, and it's not specific people necessarily, it's just, if you see, we're going to get through the context of this, it means that all people, and the darkness and evil and darkness that just is in all of us, um, we don't like to see ourselves this way. But again, this is actually where we experience the most love is understanding the darker parts of ourselves. It says in verse 18, the wrath of God or the anger of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men. So he's mad at at the acts, it says, the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, it's interesting because we think God does get angry. It's not like He loves everything, you know. It's not like, it's not. There's a lot of heinous, horrible things that go on, and it's not like God's like, "Cool, I'm cool. Whatever's good with you is good with me." No, it's God's not like that, you know. Like there are things, there is such a thing as of a righteous anger, and there are things that make God angry, you know. Just like hopefully there are things that get us angry that are just, you know, there are just things to get angry about, and it says. Particularly about people that suppress the truth. One of the things that really bothers God is is anybody that's working against people knowing God. You know, people that are working on the other on the other side of things, and helping pe- keep people away from God. In verse uh, nineteen, it says, "Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them." Now. It's, the truth is, is some people can have God stand right in front of them and aren't going to believe. Like, people have free will. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around this, especially, you know, anybody that co- has a codependent background that we think, I'm sure if there's just enough love, we can get through. But um, But unfortunately, people have free will. And even God, because he's given free will, you know, there's just, and you're going to see that also that comes up in this first chapter about that there's a part that, God can't do anything, you know, because he's, unless he oversteps his law of free will. It says, so God is always trying to make himself known to people, but no matter what, there are some people that no matter what God does will not know God, won't come to know God. In verse 20, it says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, because God's invisible, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. God really doesn't want to make it hard to know that there's a God. God's not trying to be some trickster in the sky that's trying to go, oops, oh, hope you can't see me. You know, like, it's not, it's really not how God's trying to relate at all. If you look, God says, if you look around at creation, it should be kind of obvious that there's no accident. It just should. And I, I'm sorry, but it's, it's, I believe that this is true, whether you're looking at it from a completely scientific place, you know, whether you're looking at physics, whether you're looking at biology or any of those things, that you can kind of get, you know, most physicists believe in God. Because if there was any variance in any of the constants of the universe, there would be zero universe. The the universe wouldn't exist. There's so many laws of physics that say that there must be intelligence behind what we see. And that's people that are studying it at the the highest levels. So I believe that God designed it that way, that every place you look at it, it should be that you can kind of go, huh, must be something out there. You know, like God wanted that. God didn't want it to be mystical and mysterious and unknowable in that way. Because God cares and God wants a relationship. Anyway, it says in verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. This is actually really typical, and all of us struggle with this. It's not like, oh, well, I'm exempt because I love God. All of us struggle with making God into things that are, that are made instead of God. I do. I'm a, I'm a Christian minister. I get up here every week. I'm telling you, I struggle with turning God into looking to other things to be my God. Back in these days, people, it was more literal. You know, oftentimes people would make statues of their own making and then fall down and worship the statues. And God's like, didn't you see yourself make that statue? (laughs) Like, no, seriously, God says that in the Bible. He goes, you saw yourself make it. So I'm really confused as to why you're worshiping something that you knew you made to begin with. But people do it. You'd think it would be a little bit illogical. Do you know what I mean? Like, we do it. Things that we know are not God that we make into God. And so, it says, in verse 24, and then it talks about, um, and this is another place, God made sex. We're going to talk about this a lot during the dating workshop. Um, Sex is awesome. Sex is an awesome thing that God made, and how degraded has sex gotten today? Do you know what I mean? Like, one of the things, it makes me sad in our culture, just, I'm in entertainment, and I telling you all this TV stuff, everybody's sleeping with everybody, and they don't even know anybody. like, God actually made sex to be something that two people that deeply love each other and are committed share in a way to be close and intimate, Um, and it should be amazing. It should be something that is very, very meaningful, but we don't see that today, and so... And God's also said, that's one of the places that people, when they walk away from God, it's one of the first things to go, is how people relate to, you know, to sex. And that talks about this in verse 24. It says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desire. gave them over, meaning they're doing it any, anyway. I got, I can't do anything about it. This is where we see a lot where God's like, this kind of sucks, but it's just what people are going. Um... Gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies for with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things, including things like sex. Can be you know people selling out to that um, uh, created things rather than Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. And then we're going to get into God's going to go through this whole big list. Of a whole bunch of things that we do that don't make us sound that great, like the- it 's not the prettiest picture it's probably not how you like to think of yourself uh but this is just sort of like the picture of all the things that as far as where people uh go with this in verse twenty six it says Uh, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for the unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned the natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion, which is actually supposed to be the word um, wandering. And furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over for a depraved means unfit mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree that do such things deserve death, that they they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, that's not how I like to look at myself. <laughs> it's not exactly, you know, when I wake up in the morning, the, the, the visual. But um, what's really interesting here is, and we're going to see the contrast, is the whole point of this, believe it or not, and we're going to get to that, is that God is all about love. That no matter what condition we're in... In all of these circumstances, and all of these things, the message is that God still loves us. Now, some of these things are like, well, gossip or envy. You know, gosh, that's right there with murder. You know, how they put all those together. You know, and um, for some, you know, it's just sort of, but the whole section of this really is about the fact that we are, where we're going with all of this, and you'll see it is that in everything, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at, no matter what circumstance you're in, God loves you. It's unconditional. We're going to read it. In Romans 2, in verse 1, it says, You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. That's the point of this. Now, what is it that those stupid idiots with the picket signs have? This stuff that you're going to hell. Do you know what I'm saying? Did you not read the freaking verse right after that? That if you, how are you missing the point of this? The point of it is God saying, you have any judgment towards somebody? You look at yourself. There is nothing. There is no excuse, no reason for hatred, bitterness, anger, judgment towards anybody else at all. Gosh, he put gossip in there with murder. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's God saying, come on, where, did, where didn't you find yourself on the list? Someplace, right? We all found ourselves on there. You know, and then it continues. Wait till wait you see how this ends, because you're going to see that this entire book, the point of it is grace. It says, now, we know that God's judgment against those who do things is based on truth, He gets to judge. If somebody's going to say, oh, gossip, Mm," that would be, God could do that, right? He's he's got the privilege. Envy, bad envy. It says, but in verse 3, so when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that the kindness... That God's kindness leads you towards repentance. God is saying, I'm telling you, the most hard-hearted people that I know are people that reject the grace of God. I don't care what you're measuring with. If you're not in touch, if somehow, if you're measuring is who's better than whom. If you don't got grace, if you're not in touch with the depravity, if you're not in touch with being at the bottom, you're judging people. Do you know what I mean? Like... I, I've witnessed that in my own heart. You can just look inside. Look inside, you know, how you look at things. Do you know what I'm saying? If you're not in touch with your own bottom, your own down, and how undeserving, and that it's by grace that you're loved, you're going to judge, right? You've noticed. We've all noticed this. I'm not the only person that's, right, that has witnessed that. That's what God's saying here. He says, who are you to judge? It's not going to work. Do you despise his kindness? Because it says right here, contempt. You know how strong of a word contempt is? They say, actually, if any marriage you have any contempt, your marriage is over. Contempt is bad. So, having contempt, or do you show contempt? Get this. What a thing to have contempt for! For the riches of God's kindness. How many times do you see people get mad that it's by grace and that you don't have to deserve it? That's not fair. Contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience. Not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance. God says, third, it does not need to be a law. His kindness, his goodness makes us want to change. That's the inspiration. The fact that he loves us through all this crap, that's what God's saying. That, the fact that we are loved in the most bottom place makes us want to change. Doesn't you get that? That's a place to live. That's freedom. It keeps your heart soft. makes, lets you get the love in and get your tank full. And plus gives you love to love others. Once you get it, you just go, God, I... I'm a jerk. I don't know how God loves me. How, much, how great does that feel when we really get that? When you're looking at the bottom, you're going, you really, you love me like this? You sent your son like this? How much does that soften your heart? And you feel love. That's when I feel love the most, and that's when I've got love to give. That's when my heart is soft. That's what got, that's what the whole point of this opening thing, you see it of this entire section. And yet, the irony is, is you've got those insane people with the picket signs using these same verses to prove the opposite. Makes me mad. Makes me mad. Like, how dare you say you've got anything to do with Jesus? You don't act anything like him. You make me sick. I'm embarrassed to have any association with you, but I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of God. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be, that's just a little introduction. That's the opening for the book of Romans. But you're going to see that this is the theme. Do you know? This is really the theme. Romans is a book that melts my heart. It's, if you want to feel love, 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 the book, you just like, it can make you cry. You read this book, it's just like, uh, uh, you know, I'm telling you, Romans is that
1: kind of book. It really is. Tonight I want to read through a story. If you guys can open up to Acts 8. I was uh, gonna say tonight how Acts is an amazing book if you need some fire to stir up in your heart to want to share the good news. And it's an amazing book that these guys went out Thousands of people were saved, and people were accepting Christ, just one after the other, town after town, and I'm just like, wow, like, I would like to do that, you know, if I can conquer San Jose and then go, <laughs> you know, come to Los Gatos, you know, I mean, that, that would be amazing, um, but we we can do that, that's, that's the truth, and so, um, you know, I guess, there's never enough, I mean, it's always good to read the Bible, but I wasn't going to say it because, you know, Nancy's talking about the epistles and all that good stuff. And if you are seeking for some fire, though, this is an amazing book uh, to read. So I want to read through one of my uh, favorite stories in acts, um, though. This story is definitely not like the guys with the pickets you know, out there, <laughs> this is like the complete opposite, but this is, to me, this is like the how-to story, and this is what really evangelizing and witnessing, to me, looks like, and this is, you know, straight from the Word of God, so, um, so we're going to go to Acts eight twenty-six, and we're going to start there, and I'm just going to kind of break it down um, uh, a couple of verses at a time, First off, it says in eight twenty six. it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. <clears throat> so one of the things that I noticed lately in my walk is that one of my problems is really making time uh, to seek out others and seek out, you know, others' needs. And so... I noticed this because somebody wanted to talk to me the other day and, uh, you know, I went along my business. Like, I, I, I'm, I, I'm like focused, you know, like when I, when I do things, I'm focused. I'm like trying to get my tasks done, you know, and um, but somebody was trying to talk to me and make conversation and then it, I just felt kind of like, oh, I thought they were done talking and then so I went along my business, but they weren't done talking and they were like still standing there, you know? <laughs> I'm so others-focused, right? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I felt really bad afterwards. But um, it takes time. After that, I'm like, so then it kind of I caught my attention, though, and I uh, stopped, and I had a conversation with this person, and uh, it was great. Like, I got that they really wanted to talk. And so uh, I'm glad that it, it must have been God tugging on my heart because I, I was really focused doing what I wanted to do. And so... Uh, so it's it's taking time out, and so and being open, and so that's why like this this first sentence here. It was clear, like the angel of the Lord said to Philip, "Go here." You know, this is a, a clear direction, and so, um, you know, with with sharing your faith, it it doesn't. This is something also that doesn't have to be some mystery, like who's out there. You know, like um, where am I gonna go? Because that's how I was feeling, like. Well, I don't have anybody to talk to like i i 've already like depleted my supply of people right that's what that's what i'm thinking and so um so that I'm like, wow, this is very clear he's like go to the south to the go south to the road, the desert road so i I mean that already doesn't sound fun right like desert road so but but he goes anyways so uh so we'll go on, so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. An important official in charge of all the treasury treasury of the Kendake, which means queen of the Ethiopians, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So I really like how each step of the way, like God gave clear direction. Okay, go here. Okay, well now go next to the chariot, like, it's, yeah, I mean, he didn't, it wasn't like God's, you know, showed him this, you know, vision of this eunuch, like, it doesn't always have, not that that's not possible, but it doesn't always have to be like that, you know what I mean, like, each step of the way, I mean, it takes faith, right, so each step of the way, God is directing his path, like, and God already saw where the need was, like, if he's walking, it probably took some time for him to get there, it wasn't like, um, well, anyways, he, God saw the need ahead of time. And so that's why he sent him. And I I think the reason why it says who this guy is and how he's the treasury of the Kincaid, um, basically, you know, the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia, because this gentleman had money. He had his own chariot. You know, he was... He was living good, you know? And for me, I imagine, like, this is a man who's successful, who's like, I'm at the top of my game, I'm at the top of my ladder, you know, I'm doing well. But yet, it shows how he was still seeking, that he went out to Jerusalem to go and worship. And then we'll see how it says here, in verse 30, it says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you you are reading, Philip asked so this guy went to go worship God. And then he's reading the word and he doesn't even understand. Like, I, I, I can't even really imagine that. Like, there's definitely sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, I don't even know what this means, right? But really, this man worshiped God and he had no idea what he was reading. He had no idea, like, what really, what the grasp, the gr- like, he just didn't fully understand the story. And so, again, he's seeking. He says, Do you understand? And uh, he gave the words to Philip, though, too, I'm sure. Like, he asked him, do you understand? So it's like, to me, this is, like, simple here. Like, this is simple. Like, he just started off with a question. Like, it doesn't have to be this full-on, you know, calculated, uh, you know, rules and directions on how to, you know, start up conversation with people. He just said, do you know what you're reading? And so he says, how can I? he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So I, I, I think it's a really cool that, I mean, he was so open and it just sounded like this man was like so eager. He's like, how am I going to, how am I going to, how am I going to understand, you know? But he's reading it anyways. And then he was eager to say, come on, come sit with me, you know? And that's, you know, that's kind of how I felt like with the people that I met. Like, come, come and join me. You know, people want the company, you know, and that's what we have to offer. Like, I know that's what we kind of do just in the world, like the ways of this world is you're on your own mission. You have, you're trying to get your things done. You know, you have to really take time out. I, I mean, it, I really do think that it takes just having Christ in my heart to look out and see and make time for other people. Like I, I, I don't think that would really be in my agenda, honestly. Um, that's one of those yucky parts of me, right? And so, uh, so it goes on, though. It says, this, pa- this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet? talking about himself or someone else, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. That's just beautiful. And, you know, that's like Nancy was saying really earlier. I mean, it's about grace. Like this is what he was reading is about how much Christ loved us, that he laid down his life. I mean, this uh, I actually just happened to read this um, passage the other day, and it just—it's pouring out how much God loves us and how how Jesus loves us so much that He was like a sheep to slaughter. That's that—that that doesn't sound fun to me, but He did that for us, you know. And that's the good news that we have to share with others. It's that grace, and so, um, you know, I, I'm definitely thankful that it's not based on what we do. But that is the ways of this world. So, uh, so continue on. It's 30, verse 36. It says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I just love the way that it ends. Like, this man went away with rejoicing. That's really exciting. Like, when we share and when we take time out for others, they can go away with rejoicing. Rejoicing that God loves them and rejoicing that God loves them, even though, you know. <laughs> sorry, I got sidetracked there. Um, that God has grace for them, really. That I mean, that's really what was huge for me. That God has grace for me, and so that's why I want to share it with other people. Like that's why I don't want to stay stuck in my own thing and in my own routine. Like I want to, I so want to share with other people that God has grace for them. And so um, it, it's amazing to see how this guy went away rejoicing. And and I think that it's really cool, though, too, that it says that. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly suddenly took Philip away. Like, that's just, like, it's just really random. Like, he could have, (laughs) like, walked somewhere else. But, you know, I mean, honestly, I'm a time-sensitive person. And so it's like he walked that time, he spent that time with that man, and then he, like, took him probably somewhere wherever he needed to be. You know what I mean? Like, that's how, when you, it's like, when you put God first, like, everything else will fall into place, you know? So maybe he had somewhere to be. Like, I feel like, you know, I have places to be, right? And so, (laughs) but when I put God first, he brings me, you know, to wherever it is that I need to be, and so um, so I, I just like the way that God took care of Philip as well, like if probably if he had all the time in the world, he could have walked back from wherever he was from, or whatever you know, but it says that God took him away, and so um, so that 's all I had to share tonight, as far as um, you know one of my favorite stories, and it, it just really just sparked up a fire in my heart that there's so many other stories, I mean, mean, just to reading Acts, like, there's so many stories, and like, this is where we could look, you know, of all these guys, and what they did, and the boldness that they had, because I'm not bold all the time, you know, maybe, like, one minute out of, like, you know, out of the week, like, I feel boldness, right, and so, like, I really need to read, this more. And so it really like sparks up my fire. So um, I hope that you enjoy that uh, story.